Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, I'm Robert Washburn, and welcome to Consider This Northumberland, a current affairs program dedicated to the issues facing our community. We talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life in Northumberland County. So I'm asking you, the listener, to take some time out of your busy day to consider this. Currently, the minimum wage in Ontario is $16.55 per hour. But if you're living in Northumberland County, that amount should really be $20.60. That is what the Living Wage Network Ontario says. Recently, the Living Wage Network released its figures for 2023. It calculates how much it takes to live and work in one of 10 areas within Ontario. For Northumberland County, if you add up all the housing, food, transportation costs, and other expenses, your hourly wage should be at least $20.60 for a full-time employee. Craig Pickthorn, a spokesperson for the Living Wage Network Ontario, will explain how this organization calculates this number and its significance. More importantly, he will make a case why local employers should be embracing a living wage, while busting some of the myths surrounding higher wages. I'm so pleased to have with me today Craig Pickthorn, the Communications Coordinator for the Living Wage Network Ontario. Welcome to Consider This Northumberland. Thanks for having me, Robert. Let's start with the basics. What is a living wage? So a living wage is what a worker needs to earn in order to make ends meet where they live, working full-time. Uh, we we encounter a lot of people in this work that are really surprised at how how inadequate the minimum wage is. You can work full-time, working 35, 40 hours a week, earning $16.55, and you won't be able to pay your bills. And uh, that comes to us as a surprise to a lot of people. So a living wage is in contrast to that. And a living wage is, uh, you know, we, we look at the actual expenses that people have to, you know, cover where they work and where they live. And uh, we add them all up. And then in the end, what we get is an hourly uh, wage. And so for where you're sitting, in what we call the Eastern region, there's 10 regions in Ontario, it's uh, $20.60. I want to get into that more in just a moment. But why is it necessary to publicize a living wage? Why, Why even bring it up? Why make it a topic of discussion? Well, I mean, I think that's a that's an interesting question. Um, we publish our work, of course, because we want people to see how we get these numbers. A lot of times they're very surprised at how high they are or how much they increase year over year. So first and foremost, we want to make sure that people see our work. And, uh, you know, they often have, uh, um, you know, things to say or criticisms or uh, you know, opinions. And that's great because that's what showing your work is all about. And our, uh, our living wage calculations have uh, evolved over the years, uh, you know, and the, what factors we look at, we used to only look at one family type, 
And now we actually aggregate three family types because when this work first started in the, the, the 2010s, uh, it was, uh, a, you know, uh, two working adults and two small children. But now uh, the prevalence of a single adult is so much that we have to include that in the calculation as well, as well as a single parent. So our, we show our work because we want people to see how we do it. And, uh, and yeah, that's the, that's the major region. I mean, I think maybe you were also talking about what's the, the purpose of just publishing living wage rates, period. And um, that is to help people understand how different or how inadequate the minimum wage is. I think people have this sense that kind of is stuck in the 20th century or maybe the 19th century of like, well, minimum wage work is for people that are just starting in the workplace. They're just starting on their journey as a as a employer or employee rather. Uh, they're for teenagers and and kids with no bills to pay. But I mean, in the 21st century, it's it's really, there's no debate. We know exactly who's earning a minimum wage. And Robert, 75% of people earning a minimum wage are of the age of 20 or higher. They're having to support households. They're have, they have bills to pay. So this idea that it's just teenagers, which by the way, I firmly believe teenagers earn need to earn a living wage for the the, the goals and the burdens that they're about to face in their lives. But they're just not... They're not the majority of minimum wage workers. Oh, and of course, the equity-seeking people, people of color, newcomers or uh, women are overly represented in the ranks of, of minimum wage earners. So that's why we publish our our minimum or our, our minimum, our living wage rates. Many people are struggling financially right now. With the cost of groceries and gas and other essentials, it may, it's difficult uh, for people to make ends meet. And we've watched as a number of people uh, using food banks has skyrocketed. Now, many of these people already have jobs, but they cannot afford the basics. And I guess this speaks to something you were saying just a, little, a moment ago. So why should we be having conversations about living wages now in the face of this current economic climate? Well, when you legislate conditions that are are such that someone can work full time and still have to use a food bank, I mean, even if you take a very conservative, a fiscally conservative uh, view of how society should work, really nobody benefits from that condition except for certain employers. And even then, um, when you hear about opposition to increasing wages, uh, they they don't really come from uh, the places where, or the, the opposition comes from the large employers because those are the ones that rely on uh, minimum wage uh, work. You know, small, smaller and midsize employers are not the ones that statistically rely on low wage work. And so it's important now, I think, because what kind of, what kind of society do we want to construct around us? one in which people can just toil away and yet still not be able to exist. Um, so we're trying to show that uh, the minimum wage is not adequate. Uh, we understand that it's not instantly going to become a living wage, realistic. So what we do is the other part of our work is not just calculating living wages, it's certifying uh, employers. And we, we certify new employers every week, it seems. 
And we have uh, 635 certified employers in the province across uh, 875 workplaces. You know, many, the large Meridian Credit Union is one of our largest employers, obviously, with 90 plus branches across Ontario, right down to a small coffee shop. So all sectors and all uh, sizes of businesses are are showing us that there's actually is a way to be profitable, uh, to be sustainable, and yet not rely on minimum wage work. I want to explore some of that uh, in just a minute. But before we get on to that, uh, let's talk a little bit about this organization, the Living Wage Network Ontario. Let's start with what are the goals of the Living Wage Network Ontario? Sure. So we really have, it's a, it's a pretty simple mission. Uh, mission number one, make sure that we certify living wages for our 10 regions across the province and that they are, you know, peer-reviewed, that we published our work and it's consistent year over year so you can compare them. And mission number two is to certify and recognize employers that pay it. And that certification carries with it, um, you know, you're in our searchable database. So someone could just go to ontariolivingwage.ca slash directory and just hit near me. And you can see all the employers that are around you um, that are certified living wage. And so those are two, two things that we do. Um, but what we're really, I, that's our, that's our mission. That's, that's what we do, but our mission is to bring to an end working poverty. Uh, and you do that by just paying people enough to live. That's what the living wage is about. When was the organization founded? Uh, that's, it's sort of amorphous, right? So it started, the first living wage calculation in the province was done in 2007. And then there's others that were done for other cities in Hamilton and in, mainly in the south of Ontario, um, Waterloo and Kitchener. But they were all sort of, do, they had their own little local idiosyncrasies and, and uh, flavors and the calculations were all done in a slightly different way. And so fast forward around 2013, these local organizers thought, wouldn't it be great if we could all just do the calculation the same way? You're looking at different local expenses for sure, but you're still the the, the spreadsheet. And it was actually a spreadsheet. The spreadsheet is the same. We just put in different factors. And so that happened around 2013. And then 2016, 17, uh, we became a more formalized um, entity with two people working on contracts. Uh, and that was going well. We were certifying employers. And then in 2020, in February of 2020, we became a uh, incorporated nonprofit uh, and began to collect employer fees to support two staff. And that's how that's how we keep the lights on. It takes two people full time and with some part time and contract help to maintain the directory of employers and recognize new employers and do the calculation work and do outreach just like this. Are you affiliated with uh, unions or any other social justice groups, uh, or are you standalone? I'd like to say that we have a lot of friends in different uh, corners of, of civil society and, and advocacy. Uh, but really, uh, when it comes down to where do we get our money and who makes up the network, um, United Ways are a, a big supporter of ours, both financially and in um in just actually being advocates and local um, local uh, campaigners. 
we get about uh, about half of our funding from collecting employer fees. The rest of it comes from philanthropic sources. Uh, we also have we're pleased to say we have support financial support of certified uh, living wage credit unions. Uh, three of them or two of them across the province. So Kindred Credit Union and um, um, Libro Credit Union, both in the south of Ontario, so a little further south of where you are. But that's that's who makes up our network. And really, there's about there's social planning councils that we work with locally. There's uh, workers action centers and advocacies centers. Uh, so it's a pretty uh, it's a pretty big mix of uh, local people that are just. We even have one employer in um, in the north of Ontario, Muskoka, uh, Muskoka Brewery is a has been a really um, you know they're a private sector employer, but they're really interested in making sure that. The calculation work happens and that there's there's a movement in in the living wage up there so that's the mix of uh, of our network we've talked a little bit so far about uh, calculating this living wage I'd, I'd like to talk about it in some detail how do you determine the various costs for example let's start with housing costs can you give mm -hmm. an example of how you calculate um how much it costs for housing we rely on the Canadian Mortgage and Housing Corporation, Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation for that data. And that's really, and we're totally open about this in our documentation. That's really data from the previous year. So although we release the living wages in you know November, the first Monday of every November, so this year is November 6th, we released those wages. The housing numbers are a year out of date. Um, you know, so that's uh it's something that we're looking at improving. But uh, that's what we that's what we use to collect the housing data. What about food costs? Can you tell us how you calculate food costs? That depends. Uh, some cities and some municipalities have the capacity to do their own um, what are usually called some variation of like a nutritious food basket. So they collect information, local information, and we use that. And they're more than happy to share their work with us. Other times we have to rely on Statistics Canada for that information. So it's a mix depending on where you are. Um, but that's, uh, you know, either either one of those is a pretty in-depth uh, statistical analysis of the, the consumer costs of, of food. And usually this is actually different from when we first started. The, the attempt here is to really put the cost of not only just the bare minimum food, but actually, you know, fresh fruits and vegetables um, you know, just fresh, enjoyable food that people would want to eat, not just, you know, canned uh, food and and that, and whatnot. Um, Another thing you take into your calculation is transportation. How do you how do you figure that out when you're you're trying to create a living wage? Yeah, so that is really just uh, something that we do by hand. We don't rely on any kind of um, statistical tool. We really just look up. Um, first, we work with local organizers. Uh, I'll give you an example, say uh, London. So we go to London, Ontario. There's local people there, and they help us understand, if you're a family of four, can you get by with just public transit? What are your thoughts on that? Uh, what are your experiences from people that are actually working and living in London, Ontario? And they would say to us, uh, yes, they're the, the transit uh, here is robust and provided you live within London city limits that you could, you could get by with uh, their, their, you know, good public transit and they have a working LRT down there. 
and so then your your calculation uh you go okay so we don't need to we need to include transit passes but not cars uh that's different of course if you're in um say in the east of ontario your family of four would have to have two cars there's some locations in the province where local organizers inform us like in simcoe that you you'd uh, get away with one car and so that's just really relying on local uh, experience and lived experience and expertise and seeing what kind of transportation we have. And then we just simply go and look up what the transit passes are, or we'll rely on, um, you know, like uh, uh, car pricing tools to see what, you know, what it would be uh, like a used, two used cars, a reliable Toyota, you know, we, we, we just sort of uh, make that determination uh, per location. Something you included that, surprised me was clothing and footwear. Why do you include that? And can you give us some examples of how you figure that out? Yeah, so we know that there are the major expenses in the living wage calculation, like, of course, shelter and uh, childcare, uh, food and transportation, but there's also ones that need to be in there in order for the calculation to be complete and internet access and mobile plans for the adults and uh, clothing and footwear. Is a it has to be in there as well, uh, because we know that people have to spend money on that every year, um, and so to collect that, you might think, well, you you got to call around to like Aldo Shoes and and uh, you know different the Gap and stuff like that. What we do is we rely upon uh, something called a market basket measure, which is a tool from Statistics Canada that looks at those consumer costs uh, that people have to endure. And uh, so that's a statistical tool that gives us a pretty good sense of what it is. It's It ends up being the same all over. It's not a measure that is um, going to be different uh, for each location. But to be honest, while we include that kind of thing in there, those, those kinds of things, um, they never really move the calculation one way or another very much. It's more of the four big ones that really differ from location to location. Um, another example like that would be like non-OHIP medical costs. Well, prescription medication and eyewear and uh, those kinds of costs are, are generally the same across the province. So they're, they're, uh, they're not so much a local uh, factor. I mean, you talk about stuff like adult education. You mentioned childcare. You mentioned a cell phone plan, an internet plan toiletries, furniture, household supplies, laundry, school, bank fees, um, reading materials, recreation, entertainment, all are on your list. Uh, birthday presents are even in, in your calculation. People might hear all of that and say, look, those are extraneous. Those are the extras. And when we're talking about minimum wage and you know what, what should be covered by a minimum wage, those those shouldn't be included. Make a case that justifies all these other expenses when you're trying to, I mean, you say it's not much, but in some people's minds, those are just extras. Yeah, look, the reason why we include everything to live a reasonable life, and one that most anybody that would object to us including that stuff in a calculation uh, enjoys all of those things in perpetuity. Everyone deserves to be able to make ends meet. And not only that, not only just survive, but if you're working full time, you should be able to take a modest vacation 
you should be able to participate in community and have some time to go and do the things that you want to do where you live. Um, because we know that if you think that you're granting childcare money to someone you're paying a living wage, um, and you've raised them up from the minimum wage, we know that across society, as I said before, the people that are earning minimum wage are trying to get by. They're trying to support a household and they're trying to not only do that, but better themselves and perhaps move up in the wage scales. They can't do that if you're just surviving on minimum wage. Uh, that's a known fact. And another thing I'll say too, is that especially when it comes to the locality of our living wage calculations, um, if you raise the pay of the lowest paid workers, uh, what we know is, and this has been studied time and time again, is that that money doesn't leave that, it doesn't leave Kawartha Lakes. It stays in Kawartha Lakes. It stays in the local economy because that's where those, that's where those folks spend, um, you know, the, those increases in wages. So it's not only good for workers, we know it's good for businesses. I mean, that's what they tell us unprompted. Uh, you know, the our recruitment costs go down. Our costs associated with training are, are reduced year over year. Uh, we have better retention, better productivity. It's good for businesses. It's good for workers, obviously. So uh, that's the case that we make for the living wage. So how do you do the outreach to the employers? How does that work? Honestly, Robert, we don't, we hardly do any outreach to employers. They almost always come to us. Employers themselves make the best recruiters. A lot of times we ask, you know, employers unprompted, how did you hear about us? And, you know, like about half the time they say peers. So they've heard about it from, you know, somewhere else, somewhere, somebody else in their um, sector. And they hear about the benefits and then they come to us. We do the odd webinar or, you know, like business breakfast or, We'll sometimes we'll we'll do deputations to city councils when the the city council is considering becoming a living wage employer, and doing things like this helps, um, you know, get people acquainted with what a living wage is. But for the most part, we're not we're not cold calling businesses or or whatnot, trying to get them to become a certified living wage employer. In Northumberland, there are seven living wage employers in Coburg. There's one in Port Hope and one in Colborne. What can you tell us? Is this typical for a, a rural area like ours? So it's, yeah. So what we've got to remember is that we didn't have full coverage of the province with a living wage rate until last year. So in many places in the province, we're only just getting started. And so, you know, now we have, we um, what we were doing up until last year was we were relying on municipal and county and district boundaries for our living wage rate, you know, distinct living wage rates. But the problem is there's 48 of those boundaries in the province, so we're not going to do 48 living wage rates, obviously. So we um, spent many years trying to figure out a, a boundary system that made sense and cover the entire province with living wage rates. There's 10 regions. And so we're going to see some of those regions that previously didn't have any coverage are going to, you know, pick up steam. And so we hope that there'll be many more certified labor wage employers in the future. Many employers deliberately hire people to work part-time to lower business costs. How does a living wage help these people 
when they cannot get sufficient hours to create an overall sufficient income. Yeah, that's something that we don't address with our living wage rates. Um, we calculate them to be what a person must earn while working 35 hours a week. And like you said, there's a lot of times when a business model will be constructed around the possibility of only hiring, you know, part-time work. Uh, so in our calculation, we don't really have much to say about that. But you do know, I mean, if if an employer decided to certify and they had a bunch of people working part-time, um, they would enjoy a raise in pay. Uh, you know, it, if they say an employer in Coburg decided to become certified, uh, they would see a $4.05 raise if they decided to become, well, up from the minimum wage to $20.60. So I'm sure the employer or employee would report that as a positive, but like you said, it's it won't it won't be able to make ends meet on just that one part-time job. Many employers complain when minimum wages go up. How do you expect them to agree to pay a, a living wage? Yeah, you know, there's there's uh, when the minimum wage goes up, uh, we always get a call. Um, we do a lot of, uh, you know, media, a lot of talking with uh, folks in the media, sometimes in a split screen, sometimes with, you know, um, people who represent small businesses and say that it's too soon, it's too much. And I get it. They're only just doing their job. They're just there, just like me. Um, I'd say that there's, there's you know, over 600 employers that say, I'm making this work. Some of them came to us before the pandemic, but over half of them came to us over the course of the pandemic. Despite all of those hardships, they're able to certify and remain certified. And they some of them grow. We have a cleaning company that started out in uh, Kitchener. They've grown to uh, you know dozens of locations all over uh, the province over the course of the pandemic. And cleaning is one of those industries that is known to rely on underwaged or low-waged work, and yet they all pay a local living wage. So it is possible. They're not they're not a fantasy, you know, they exist and you can go see them at ontarioliveage.ca forward slash directory. They're all right there. There is another way. But don't these costs get passed on to consumers? And those are things that, that are likely to drive things like inflation. How how mm -hmm. does it fit into the overall economic structure so that it doesn't drive inflation, make things more expensive, yeah. and then we get into this cycle. All right. So I'm going to veer a little bit off my pay grade here. I'm not an economist, but <laughs> that big but. W wages don't drive uh, inflation. And what drives inflation is is uh, usually you have to go right to the, the larger uh, entities where there's greedflation. Um, it's, it's not wages of, uh, of people earning $16 and 55 cents. If they go up, it's not, that's not the reason why the bank of Canada raises interest rates. Uh, economists have studied this, uh, tirelessly over and over again while, uh, and, and they show that that's not, it's, it's really hard to, to demonstrate at best, like a, a no, uh, effect on the economy for raising wages. Uh, so it's problematic to to make that assertion, and there's others that can do that much better than I have. But I'll you know I'll just defer to them. The bottom line is is that we had a a great uh, province wide experiment in 2018. We said, what if we raised 
um, minimum wage up from $11.45 to $14. The biggest raise that about almost a million people ever got in the province in history. And so we experimented with that. And how did the experiment go? Uh, job growth uh, uh, increased year over year. Uh, in By 2019, it went up by 2.8% uh, or something, which was more than the previous years. And uh, that didn't, you know, presage some kind of big crash that didn't, um, businesses weren't closing en masse as was predicted by a lot of um, economists working for banks and so forth. None of that, none of that, that uh, doomsday came to pass. And that was, we tried that on a million people. Uh, so it's just one of those things we hear about because there's people that are doing their jobs on the other side of this conversation. Uh, but it's becoming harder and harder to make that case as time goes on. Do you lobby governments to adopt living wage or over minimum wage? Uh, yeah, in a sense, we do. Uh, you know, they, they usually uh, it's municipal governments uh, and a municipal government will contemplate becoming um, a certified living wage employer. But I know that's not exactly what you're you're asking. Um, we have had... We haven't uh, lobbied uh, governments, uh, but when there was the uh, Fair Workplaces Act being contemplated, which is Bill 148, that the, the Wynn government um, brought on, they conducted consultations across the province about what would happen if we raised the minimum wage to $15, which we all know eventually happened anyways. Uh, but we had a lot of certified living wage employers go and depute to those government panels to talk about the effects of what they were experiencing by paying people a living wage. That's about the extent that we've lobbied. Um, I think, you know, what we're effective at is um, we're, we're making sure that nobody talks about the minimum wage without asking about the living wage. And every time the minimum wage goes up, we get a call. Um, the, the government is held to account about why by various parts of society, why is the minimum wage so inadequate? Why can't you live on a minimum wage? Um, why is it so much less than a living wage? There's nowhere in the province where you can earn a minimum wage and make ends meet. If someone's listening, how do they broach this topic with their employer or with a business? Yeah, that's a good question. I would I would just say, hey, you know, I, I heard this thing on the radio. I heard, uh, I heard Robert talking to some guy about a living wage. I went to the website. I think you should check it out. Certification is a really easy process. Um, and there are just a whole bunch of benefits, including uh, here's one that we we've noticed that I've I've heard about, you know, uh, is employers enjoy better standing in the community. So especially in this scenario that you laid out for me, where it's someone talking to their friend or colleague or even employer, it's going to probably be a smaller in this scenario. And I'm imagining it, you know, um, a smaller employer, smaller community-based, like in the community employers enjoy better standing when they they put the mark of a living wage employer on their on their physical address and on their their print materials and on their um, you know their websites as as uh, as they're issued to uh, by us. And so that's that's a benefit that uh, a lot of employers talk about. But you know, in the end, what is like why would why would anyone want to make sure that someone is in working poverty? Um, you know, the, 
truth be told, there's there, we've had a lot of employers come to us and, and really surprised at how different and how inadequate the minimum wage is. And they said, I don't want to be that employer. I'll give you an example. Um, a lot of our restaurants and bars, you know, service industry businesses uh, that certify, almost all of them are owned or uh, like operated and owned and started by people who worked in the industry for years at minimum wage. They know what it's like to work full time and have to, well, I got to go hold down an, a gig economy job or a second job just to make ends meet. So they know and they're making it work. So why wouldn't you? I think you should do it. At least have a look. This is my, my pitch. What are your goals in the future? Be out of a job. Just no job for me because the province has uh, adopted our um, regime of calculating a living wage and made that the, the minimum wage. But, you know, that's my cheeky answer. I know that's not going to happen. Our our goal is to to have so many living wage employers in the province that you kind of don't even need to have to look them up because they're everywhere. Much in the same way, like if you wanted to get organic apples, you kind of just go to the end of the aisle and they're there um, in the same way um, in that they're, they're not as expensive as when they first came out. They're, they're ubiquitous. Uh, that would be the same way as uh, for certified living wage employers. It'd be easy just as a consumer to just patronize certified living wage employers only. Uh, that would be, I think, um, a major uh, goal of ours. Greg Pickthorn, thank you so much for talking to me today. Thank you, Robert. Appreciate it. That was Craig Pickthorn, a spokesperson for the Living Wage Network Ontario. I want to thank my guests this week for talking to me, and I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in, and I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at considerthisnorthumberland at gmail.com or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. That's consider-this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.